Hi, good evening, church family. Tonight's reading is from Isaiah 49, verse 1 to 13. So please open your Bibles with me there to the passage. Isaiah 49, verse 1 to 13. Here is the word of the Lord. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due to me is the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant and restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back of those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritance. And to the captives, to act. To say to the captives, come on, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Evening, everyone. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, Who's got exams coming up this week? Shame. We will be, we'll be thinking of you and praying for you. Do you know, there's, there's three things you must remember as you head into exams, as you feel stressed and nervous about exams. Remember, number one, that God is in control. Number two, remember that God is good. Number three, remember that God cares for you. Now, those three things will help you as, you as you face the nerves of exams and the, and the stresses, stresses and the pressures. Remember those things and trust him for his hand. Um, this, this evening, we're looking at this passage in Isaiah, so please do keep your Bibles open. Um, for those of you who are new, if it's your first time or first few times here, it would be great to meet you afterwards. My name's Sean, 
Um, I'm, I'm one of the ministers on the staff. Uh, do come and say hi afterwards. I, I often say, you know, grab an iced tea and bring it to me, and no one ever brings it to me. So just come and say hi. Yeah, I'd love to meet you. Um, let's pray. Let's ask God to help us as we look at his word together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you've spoken uh, through the pages of Scripture, and you continue to speak today uh, through your word. Father, we pray that as we look at, at this word that you will speak to us. We pray that you will show us more of your plan for salvation. We pray that you'll increase our confidence in what you are doing. We pray that you'll help us to love and delight in the Lord Jesus more and more as we see him uh, pro prophesied in these words of Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week, we started a series uh, looking at three of the, the servant songs in Isaiah. Um, there's, there's four servant songs, and we're looking at three of them. Last week, JP started us off with um, the first of the servant songs in Isaiah 42. Uh, the servant songs reveal to us uh, the servant character. And the servant character is the one through whom uh, God is going to fulfill his promises. It's the one through whom God is going to work to achieve uh, his, the redemption of his people, who will bring salvation all the way to the ends of the earth. It is through the servant that God is going to transform a rebellious, faithless people into a faithful people who love and serve him. And so as we look at these servant songs, uh, uh, we should be um, filled with excitement about the servant, filled with amazement at the servant. Who here knows who Liz Truss is? That's probably more hands than I would have expected. Okay, Liz Truss uh, is the current um, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom of England. Um, on Thursday, this last week, uh, Liz Truss resigned, and she will be replaced within a week. She had a mere 45 days in office. In her resignation speech on Thursday, she said she could no longer deliver the mandate on which she was elected. During the campaign, she had made various promises of revitalizing the economy, of dealing with the energy crisis, and less than a month and a half in, as she realized that she couldn't fulfill those promises she made. And good on her, she resigned, rather than um, staying in office um, and not doing what she had promised. They've set out just one week to find a new leader, and in this week, there will be a, a bunch of people put forward. Um, it's, it's actually quite an interesting read if you want to go read the, the, the BBC website as to who the possible candidates could be. But each of these candidates will be putting forward their manifesto. Uh, they will be hoping that they'll be elected. They'll be putting forward promises, things that they hope to do and to achieve if they become the next prime minister. Who will be elected? Who knows? We'll see. Will they fulfill what they've promised? Well, only time will tell. In the seven songs in Isaiah, it's, it's like Isaiah presenting the, the servant's manifesto. They tell about his character. They tell us about what he's going to do. Uh, as we said, there's four servant songs in Isaiah. The first we saw last week, 
and we'll, we'll look at the final one next week. Isaiah is one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. He prophesied 700 years before the coming of Jesus. Uh, the, the, the message in Isaiah, there's two main messages in Isaiah. The first 39 chapters deal with a warning of an impending judgment. You see the Israelites, God's covenant people, had time and time again rebelled against God. Rather than worshipping him as the one and only true God, they had followed after the gods of the nations around them. And because of their faithlessness, God was going to hand them over to their enemies. And we see that happening in Isaiah. Uh, the, the northern kingdom uh, was defeated by the Syrians, and the southern kingdom was taken off into exile by the Babylonians. Listen um, to, these, uh, to this verse from um, Isaiah 39. Read verse 6. And this is, uh, this is a, a word from the Lord to Hezekiah, the, the then king of, of the southern kingdom. It says there, The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. That's God's judgment executed on the, the people of Israel, northern and southern kingdom, because of their rebellion against him. Now, from chapter 30, the message in Isaiah changes from one of impending judgment to one of comfort and hope. It's a promise that God will again restore his people, uh, that he will bring back a remnant, a people to be in a special relationship with him, a people who are his treasured possession, a people who, rather than being under his wrath and judgment, will again be under his blessing. And a people who, rather than being faithless, uh, will be turned into a people who are faithful, who love and serve their Lord. And it's in these chapters, these chapters of hope, that we see uh, the servant character. These servant songs show us what God is going to do and how he is going to do it. It shows us that, that the servant is central to God achieving what is promised. And the servant sh songs show us with increasing clarity what the servant will be like and what he will do. In the New Testament, we see clearly and without doubt that the servant is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus that God brings salvation to the ends of the earth. It is through him that victory comes. So as we read these words of the servant, we are reading a prophecy looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus. We're going to look at the sermon song in two parts. We'll look at the first uh, six verses, which show us the servant's manifesto. And then um, verses 7 to 13, we will see God's declaration about the servant and his mission. Now, we're going to spend uh, the bulk of our time in the first six verses where it really paints this picture of the servant and what he's come to do. So, firstly there, the servant's manifesto. Now, the servant's song starts with this wide call to listen. Uh, look at verse 1. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. 
The islands are, are a reference to the edgemost edge parts of the world. Last week we saw that it is the islands, those edge parts of the world, who will be putting their hope in the servant's teaching. Here are the islands, the distant nations are called to listen. They're called to hear this message, this declaration of the servant. This is really a call for all of creation to hear, even to the, the, the um, remotest parts of the world, even to the far distant shores of Africa. All the way back in Genesis, God had made promises that through Abraham, the nations will be blessed. So here we see this message of the servant comes not just to the Israelites, but to the whole world. So it's a call for all the world to listen, to hear of this great servant. In the second half of verse 1, we get the servant's commission. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. The servant is chosen and commissioned by God. From the beginning of his existence, from within his mother's womb, he is the one God has chosen. He is the one that God has, has chosen as his instrument to bring to fulfillment all that he's promised. Uh, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, he says... Uh, talking about Mary, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Before Jesus was born, God knew, God commissioned, God named him Jesus because he will save the people from, the sins, from their sins. And in verse 2, we see the effect of the servant. And we see it as a powerful effect. Verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me like a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. His mouth like a sharpened sword. It's a picture of powerful and effective. And it's no wonder that as Jesus came into this world, he came to preach. He came as the revelation from God, the word from God, to make God's plan known. In Mark 1, Jesus came proclaiming the good news of the gospel. He said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And later in, in, in chapter 1 in Mark's gospel, when some of um, Jesus' followers came to tell him that crowds were looking for him because of the miracles he had been doing, Jesus replied in verse 38 and said, Let's go, uh, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. The mouth of the servant, Jesus' mouth, is like a sharpened sword, powerful and effective through it achieving what God has purposed, through it bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. And he is like a polished arrow. The picture here is of a, of a streamlined arrow, perfectly guiding through the air with precise accuracy. 
powerful and effective, hitting the target dead center. Notice that again, God is the one who is at work. He is the architect behind the scenes. He made the servant like a sharpened sword. He made him, he polished him um, into a polished arrow. In verse three, we see the identity of the servant. Verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Here here the servant is God's servant, his chosen one, and here God calls him Israel. But note, he's not talking about the nation Israel. Although in the Old Testament there are times that Israel as the nation are referred to as God's servant. But here he is talking about an individual. In verse 5, we see that it is through the servant, the individual, that God will bring back Israel, the nation. So the servant is not the nation, but the individual. And the New Testament shows us that it is the true Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The servant is called Israel because he will achieve all that Israel failed to achieve. Israel, the nation, was rebellious and faithless. But all that Israel failed to do, the servant, the Lord Jesus, the true faithful Israel, was and is. Where Israel sinned and rebelled, the Lord Jesus obeyed and was faithful. Even saying to his father, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus was faithful even to the point of death, going to the cross to fulfill God's purpose in saving a people for himself. And therefore it is in this servant that God's splendor is displayed. Verse three again, you are my servant Israel in in whom I will display my splendor. It is in Christ that God shows his glory. It is in Christ that God shows his splendor. And that is, it is in Christ and in Christ alone. As Jesus reveals God to us, as he reveals his plan to us, we see God's glory. We see his greatness and his splendor. As our sin is dealt with, with Jesus going to the cross, God's glory and splendor is shown to this world. Verse 4 comes as a, as a little bit of a surprise. In verse 4, the servant replies to God's statement that he's just made about his splendor. Have a look at verse 4. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. When, um, when the servant looks around and he sees what's being achieved by what he's done. He sees nothing. All his effort, all his hard work, but what is the result? And here we see, and we see this as Jesus came into the world. Many rejected him. Many hearts were hardened rather than turning to him. But how will the servant respond to this apparent failure? Well, the second half of verse 4 shows us his response. Yet, 
What is due to me is in the Lord's hands, and my reward is with my God. See, the, the complete trust of the servant, the complete reliance on God to do what is right, even in the face of rejection and apparent failure. Jesus came into this world and he was despised and rejected. The religious leaders and the elite of the time mocked and ridiculed him, and they plotted to kill him. But through all this, Jesus had his trust and reliance firmly rooted on God, knowing that all things are in his hands and that he will achieve what he has purposed. Despite the disappointment and rejection, Jesus was content to leave the outcome to God. In verse 5 and 6, we get the mission of the servants. Verse 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed, uh, formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and to gather Israel to himself. For what, what am I honored in the eyes of the Lord? And my God has been my strength. Uh, the mission of the servant is to bring God's people back to him. The rebellious Israel that were driven from the promised land, away from God's presence, away from his blessing, will be brought back to a restored relationship with God. Rather than being under God's judgment in exile, they will be restored under God's promise and blessing. But that's not where it stops. Have a look at verse 6. He says, It is too small a thing um, for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The whole world needs salvation. The whole world stands guilty before God of rebellion. It's not just Israel, not just the 12 tribes. So as the servant comes, he comes not just for the, the Old Testament people of God, but he comes uh, for, for Gentiles too, the non-Jews who were um, strangers to the covenant promises. They were covenant outsiders. So it's no surprise that, as, that we see in the New Testament that the message of salvation goes both to the Jew and to the Gentile. Uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, uh, Paul talks uh, about the, the, the gospel going out, the message of the gospel going out, um, both to the Jew and to the Gentile. In, in 2 uh, verse 17 we read, He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's house. Jesus is a light to the world, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He brings salvation to the ends of the earth, to the distant nations, all the way to the far shores of this world, to Cape Town, to Stellenbosch. So it's not, no surprise 
that the servant song started with a call to all the nations to listen. Because it's a message of salvation for all the nations. So that's our first point, the servant's manifesto. Now on to our second point and more briefly, God's declaration about the servant and the servant's mission. From verse 7 Uh, The Lord is the one who speaks. In the first six verses, it's been the servant who's been speaking. And now as the Lord speaks, as God speaks, he adds his backing to the servant. Uh, I guess if uh, over the next week, the, 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 the potential prime minister candidates in the UK will be looking for people to back them, looking for people to speak for them and say, you know, this is the one who should be prime minister. Here God speaks, and he tells us what his servant will accomplish. Firstly, in verse 7, God speaks of the servant's vindication. Um, Have a look at verse 7 there. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorned by the nations, uh, to the servant of the rulers, Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see you and bow down. Because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Make no mistake, the servant will be despised. He will be abhorred. He will be rejected. We saw this earlier, and we saw this as Jesus came into the world. But that's not the end. The despised, the rejected servant will be vindicated. Kings will rise when he enters. Princes will bow down at his presence. Jesus may seem to be rejected now. He may seem to be ignored by those in positions of influence and power. But that is only temporary. In the end, the most powerful, the most influential, the greatest names this world knows will bow down and recognize Jesus for who he is. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one and only Messiah who who is God's servant, who achieves God's purposes. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus alone is Lord. Verses eight to 12, we get this glorious picture of what this future restoration of God's people will be like. In verse eight, we see that the servant will become a covenant for his people. This is what the Lord says, in a time of favor, I will answer you. In the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign the desolate inheritances. The servant will be the mark, the guarantee uh, for God's people that he will restore them, that he will do what he has promised to do. The servant will be a covenant for the people. And saturated throughout these verses, we we see what the promise uh, restoration will be like. It's a promise to bring people back into a relationship with God, a promise to bring the people under God's blessing, and favor. And um, 
and we see that all that the, pe the, the people of Israel lost in their exile will be reversed. In verse 8, their land, the promised land that was taken from them, that they were sent away from, will be restored to them. They will be called from captivity and darkness to freedom. The barren hills, which were part of the judgment that God had, um, God had laid against them, will again be turned into lush pasture lands. There'll be no more hunger or thirst. They'll be protected and cared for by God. They'll be protected from the, the elements. This is a glorious picture of the restoration that God has planned and that God was working. And there's this glorious um, uh, section at the, the second half of verse 10. Um, look down at second half of verse 10 there. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. It's a picture of God caring for them, leading them. Rather than sending them away in judgment, he will bring them back and lead them beside springs of water. And in, in verse um, 11 to 12, you've got this picture of, of, this, of masses of people streaming to God. Mountains turned to roads, highways raised, uh, were raised up to make the path to God easy. So in verse 12, see they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. In the day of salvation, people will flock to God. Now, for the Israelites in the time uh, that Isaiah was writing, when they were heading off into exile, and when they were in exile years later, seemingly far from God, away from his blessing and promise, under his judgment rather than his blessing, they are to hold on to the promise that, that you see in these verses, to hold on to the promise that that was not the end. God had promised a time of restoration. God was doing something greater. So as they were sitting by the rivers of Babylon, they were not to be despondent and downcast and want to throw in the, t the towel. They were to hope in the Lord, to hope in his servant who would restore them. And God did restore Israel from Babylon. He brought them back from the promised land. But that physical restoration was just a picture of something um, way greater, an ultimate restoration that God had planned to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. In Isaiah, you get these pictures of physical, earthly promises, but then mixed with something far greater, so that as Israel returns, it is just a picture, a shadow of something far greater, a promise that the salvation will go to the ends of the earth. I promise to restore people from many nations to be in a covenant relationship with God. And when Jesus came into this world as God's long-awaited promised servant, he comes to bring all that God has promised to fulfillment. God's ultimate plan is to totally rid this world of sin and the effects of sin. Now that's only going to find its full fulfillment when Jesus comes back. 
We've not yet experienced the full fulfillment of that. But we have seen the servant. He has been in this world. He has walked on this earth. We can read of the servant in the eyewitness accounts in the New Testament. We have heard God's declaration about his servant. God will do it. Wait, hope, and trust in the servant. God is at work. He is working out his plan, and he will fully and completely work his plan out to restore to himself a people to be his treasured possessions all the way to the ends of the earth, a people who will live under his blessing, free from sin and judgment. The section ends off in verse 13 as a praise to God for his wonderful plan of salvation. Uh, Listen to verse 13. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. The Lord comforts his people. The Lord has compassion on his people. God has an amazing plan of salvation, a plan that has been at work, uh, working out from the creation of the world. And central to this plan is his servant, the Lord Jesus, who comes at God, as God's instrument, as his agent to bring salvation to, peop- to his people, even reaching to the ends of the earth. Can we but shout for joy at this salvation plan? Can we but rejoice and burst into song with the mountains? Nothing greater has ever been seen in this world. Nothing greater will ever be accomplished. God has brought and is bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, By this time next week, there'll be a new prime minister in England. Who will it be? Who knows? What will they be like? Who knows? What will they promise to do? I guess we'll find out this week. Will they achieve what they've promised? Chances are probably not. Jesus, the servant, God's servant, God's agent of salvation, has and will achieve what God has promised. It is guaranteed. Let's praise God for his wonderful plan of salvation. Okay, any questions?